Oh, hello there, Chuck. <laughs> I didn't see you there. How are you? Hmm? Good. Just uh, editing the episode. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Oh, you commoner and your common talk. I guess I'm what you would say, <laughs> doing not much. <laughs> what is this? Chuck, pst, pst, Chuck, it's me, your pal Brady. I'm practicing patronizing, so I'm working on being more condescending to people. <laughs> oh, Ooh. do you have any idea where Matt can get some crumpets around here? <laughs> uh, oh, wh- why are you doing this? You know, for our Patreon, we've been asking people to patronize our page, and I didn't want to ask them to do something I wasn't willing to do it myself, so I figured I'd get some practice in. Oh, God. Brady, no, that's huh? that's what? not what it means. Oh, no? Listen, listeners can go to our Patreon page, pick the level you want to contribute. Oh. Each level has special rewards. Okay. Like, exclusive life after minisodes. Or not safe for work bloopers? Uh, or like a monthly collection of deconstruction memes. And even personal consultations or meet up with your favorite host, Chuck and Brady? Yeah. Brady. Patreon.com slash the life after. <laughs> I guess even you could find it. <laughs> I'm, I just started Welcome to the life after. <laughs> uh, this is Brady, like the bunch, Harden, and with me And this is Chuck, like the meat parson. <laughs> Oh, I get a chuck meat. Like, got it. Like ground chuck. Thank you. Uh, take that however you guys want. And um, hey, we've got a great episode with you today because we have um, our wonderful guest here, Jamie Lee Finch. Hi. I, I have nothing to say about what Every my name Jamie's is adjacent show, to. You hear her giggling I immediately in the laugh before you even know it's me. <laughs> well, I feel like that really helps with this uh, internet persona that people have, this idea that I'm just like angry all the time. So maybe when they hear me giggle, that'll help. Who would play maybe. you in a movie about you? Go. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> 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 no, I don't really think that, that would be what is this Vulcan pride? You decided that right now. This, uh, I love her. But no, I don't know, actually. I've, I've truly never actually thought about that. Because I think I've always just been like, fucking me, bitch. Oh, okay. Like, oh, I'll do it. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's, that's that. appropriately alpha Jamie That's response. strong Enneagram 8 energy right <laughs> there. No one can play me, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, why would that you have b- a shadow BFE, when you've got the real Finch thing? Energy. Big, <laughs> oh, my God. Um... So hey, we you heard it here. You are like one of our biggest episodes of all time. You have changed second like, second biggest. Don't do that. You have Oprah people. <laughs> you have changed lives. And I like his better. Keep going, Brady. <laughs> one of we're like bad cop, good cock, but we keep on changing. I love back it. And, and uh, you you have literally our conversation that we had at that time. I needed to hear it because it needed mm-hmm. to push me on my deconstruction mm-hmm. and to kind of get some of my shit, my body stuff, uh, fucking worked out and, and everything. Yeah, um, changed my life. And then I literally yeah. recommend people to go to this fucking old podcast episode of ours with jamie oh, changed yeah. my life too big time <laughs> i would i actually should i should clarify oh, okay that oh her that's the second most popular episode since we switched rss feeds which oh. is actually saying a lot because it was recorded before we switched rss feeds so it hasn't yeah. been a new episode on that everybody yeah, so uh, all of our listeners are of so downloads. interested in rss i'm gonna believe that we're I'm not winning. gonna say what number you, yeah, one you're is winning. You're i'm winning you're I'm definitely winning. winning if you want to find out what number one is join our patreon but <laughs> but, but some really cool behind the but scenes some cool content. shit has happened since yeah. you since you've been, yeah and what tell us what's happened since you've been on the show last well while um i work for myself now yeah huge. which was not the case then um and i mean and and i know i've said this to you guys on a 
personal level a lot before, but I, that podcast is that we recorded in, what was it? May 20. It was like exactly two years ago. Mm-hmm. Two years ago. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like May, 2017. Um, <clears throat> I, it felt like after we recorded that, what, what my life felt like is that I was building an airplane as it was taking off Holy because shit, it was, yeah. I had, I had actually given <laughs> up on what I thought like coaching or what that work could be because I didn't really know like what I was here to speak to. And then the combination of what I was studying in school and that unique moment when we had that conversation and the fact that it was recorded and, you know, available for public consumption for other people, it just built the thing for me. And I've just been, I feel like in the last for the, the for the first year and a half after that, I feel like I was like just trying to keep up with it. And now at this point, I feel like in the last six months, I'm actually able to look forward at like what is ahead in doing this coaching work. And my wait list is like 350 people long. So, I mean, there's there's I'm feeling some some urgency of wanting to make the what I believe in and what I'm doing this coaching work from like as a, as much as I possibly can make it available to as many people as possible. But the first Part of how I feel like I've done that is that I wrote a book. Yes. Wrote a book. I wrote a book. It's weird knowing that like this time two years ago, this book was living in me, but I didn't know who it was. I love that. I had yeah. never met it before. And then it, it, it exists. Now, and that's kind of mm-hmm. cute. It's in the world. It's kind of cute. Yeah, it's cute. Oh, you got a little book baby. I'm a little book baby. (laughs) She's so cute. She's doing great, I think. Well, I was kind of thinking of Stephen King in his book on writing. He talks about Mm. discovering a book is kind of like digging out, like, and finding an art, like a piece of like a a piece of the past, like archaeology or like I love that. And you have to discover it. You don't have to create it. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it's cool that that book was living in you because the message and the things that you were talking about that last episode legitimately healed and brought healing and people brought mm-hmm. to the realization that they need healing yeah. um, in ways that I don't think were available in, in any other way. Before. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And not because I think I'm like so uniquely special to have done something like no one else did, but because I, the way it feels for me is that I, I created the thing that I needed most because I wasn't finding it anywhere. Oh, yes. And that, so that's why I'm like, I have a deep, like full bodied yes to you saying that. Cause I'm like on some level, even making it is what healed, not even on some level, on a very deep level, making it is what healed me mm-hmm. because I have some mm-hmm. very specific, like touch points and memories. It was mm-hmm. supposed to, writing the thing was quote, supposed to only take me a year and I let it take me a year and a half instead, which was its own journey to like let go of my own timeline but what I know now is a big part of that is I actually had to go back I went back to my dad's house and got six boxes of just stuff from my childhood adolescence early 20s and I sat with her Mm. like me at every age and I read the Mm. notes she wrote to her friends and the things that they wrote to her and the journal entries and the poems and I held off on writing for like two weeks once I got those books it was September of this last year and I I there was something that just didn't feel right about like the first draft that I had yeah my advisors agreed my program director agreed and I was really really well supported at Goddard and it was it was really just me getting over the timeline I had in my head and what I know now is going back and getting that stuff like putting the writing process on hold for about two weeks because I just needed to talk to her and emote. And I just cried for two weeks. I had all this shit strewn Mm -hmm. around my room because I was like, I had vague memories of what it was like, but then I was reading like her correspondence from when I was in it. And I was like, this is extraordinarily fucked up. I am so sorry you ever felt this way about yourself. And I just wept with her and it feels like in what I ended up writing and what exists now that people are able to have and connect with, she's in it. 
And she wasn't in it before. There's such a big gap between intellectually acknowledging what's wrong with evangelicalism and then really feeling going it. back and like addressing your own personal your experience of evangelicalism. Yes, absolutely. It's totally different. There is, yeah. And I'm like, I personally, like as a person that's like <clears throat> largely... Like, not as far as I'm aware, not super affected by my religious trauma at this point in my life. (laughs) As far as I'm aware, (laughs) uh, yeah, I'm just starting to like go back and like really, yeah, like look at each stage and how it affected me because it was it was there from my earliest memories. I've still got stuff even just as recent as in the last calendar week that my partner has been like, I mean, you say this thing a lot or this thing comes up a lot from my perspective as an utterly non-religious, non-American person has 11 years on me in age. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not so certain about this. And of course, my immediate reaction is like, what are you talking about? Like, double down, get defensive. And then when I step away from that and like listen to my body, I still have stuff that in this last week, my body is like, yeah, evangelicalism gave you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that thing, that dysfunction that you think that you need to do this. Like most recently it was this expectation of like, I have to die for a cause and that's the only way I'll be loved. Oh, and I was like, oh shit. yeah, I was reading books about martyrs when I was nine years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's DC been in Talk. me. Yeah, that one. I told I told my Jesus partner about freaks. that one last night. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, no, that's a thing. What was, was the like, other big, big martyr book? Sorry. Foxes. Uh, yeah, what? Fox. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Oh, yeah. ISBN oh, shit, number yes. 1084887. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you just said you were kidding because I was like, I'm not tracking. What did I miss? <laughs> no, about I was naming off the ISBN number because we used to work at a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. The Isbin. Is, isbin. Um, Another yeah. thing that's been really triggering to me to kind of do the whole reflecting on myself as a kid mm. and everything is having a kid. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that oh, before yeah. previously on the show. And we bring it, talk to some parenting people soon. And I'm really mm-hmm. excited about, That's cool. but kind of having to re cause my kid is just a carbon copy of myself. It's yeah. disgusting, uh, in all the right ways. And so kind of <laughs> understanding my personality ways. and, you know, cause my stuff is wrapped up in fundamentalism, being in an abusive home, yeah. being around people who are mentally. So it's like yeah. all these things all kind of like oh, go together. Yeah. Um, but really what kind of opened my eyes to understanding, knowing my younger self mm-hmm. was uh, Marlene Winnell's book. Yeah. Full. Yes. And then yeah. you touched on it in yours. And oh I was, my God. Which, yeah, touched on it is generous. Walk. You cite her that book. That is quite, quite so often. Y'all, she... She's she a, messaged me on Facebook. And yes. I, she, I almost Aww. fell over. She's so sweet. She's so sweet. And she's wonderful. Like, and it was also funny because she just like was kind of like, she friended me and then messaged me and was like saying hi. And then I gave her like two paragraphs of how much I admire her. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then two weeks later, she was like, that's so lovely. Thank you. We should keep in touch. And I was like, she, <laughs> she's so like, I'm fawning over her here and she's yeah. just her to her. And I'm like, you have no idea like yeah, who yeah. you are. To oh, for yeah. sure. She's, I mean, this but my book wouldn't exist without Without right. that no, this book and the body keeps the this score. This podcast wouldn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Oh, and, yes. And, and your profession wouldn't exist without the podcast. <clears throat> no. It's yeah. all Marlene. It's all, it's all Marlene. It's all Marlene. Let's start a Marlene cult. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Have we not already? That actually, that touches on a really good point because I thought that you did a, a really good job Better than most things that I've read, a really good job at presenting the the manifold like obstacles that are in place that keep you from leaving evangelicalism. Mm, wow, like yes. the Thank layers you. and layers and layers of, well, like once you think this, well, this is here and that keeps you from going out that yeah, way. Right. Once you think this, this is here. Yeah. That keeps you from going Do out that way. Do you still think Thank that way? You. Yeah, I think so. 
Because I could play, I play all that stuff like a computer program. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like a whole panel of elders from an Acts twenty nine church. <laughs> it gets, yes. Explaining to you why the thing you think you think or the thing you think you God, know has is, to be wrong somehow. That is yeah. terrible. That's my personal hell. Is just standing in. That's front my of every day. A, a group of mm. Acts twenty nine. That elders. was that was literally and, my and Mark, weekly Mark when I lived and, here. And Darren, uh, what's his face? Oh yeah, yeah. The, No, that was literally my weekly experience when I lived guys. here in St. Louis, and I was wanting to move to. Nashville to go to Grace Center and I was going to August Gate. The three male <laughs> pastors. August Gate is an X29 church. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. They are. The three X29 church. Story. The three male pastors insisted on sitting down with me weekly. Damn girl. In order to, I don't know what they would have maybe said about what, but they were they didn't trust that me deciding to go to Grace Fuck. Center was the right decision. So they made me sit in a room with them once a week for hours while I just essentially, what my body remembers about that is I would basically tell them, well, I'm reading this in the Bible right now. And this is essentially leading me to be like, I think signs and wonders might be a thing. I think that, the, and they would just, they literally just sat me in a room, three of them just staring at me. And when I would tell them what I was learning and what my personal experience with God was at the time, they would just fucking tear it down in front of me. And then Damn at one girl. point even told me that the reason why that they couldn't, they were just trying to protect me, right? The reason why they couldn't trust me that this was the right decision for me to do is because I was a single woman and I didn't have a husband to run it by. Ooh, Fuck. So wee. the person, yeah. they were two afraid out of the BFE. three that you're mentioning, <laughs> Two out of the three yeah. intertwined with my story yeah. because whenever I was disfellowshipped from the one church, I was trying to find another church to go yeah. to because I still believed. Mm-hmm. And I was a single dad. My son was an infant at the time. Mm-hmm. It was hard. And one of the that was one of the churches I visited. But the, one of the elders from the previous church that disfellowshipped me contacted them, oh, warned them God. about me. So my oh, first my real experience going there was going before two of them, telling them my entire story that involves being cheated on and, you know premature ejaculation and bad sexual side effects from being part of fundamentalism and, you know, struggling with being gay. All of this, my mm-hmm. entire fucking life story yeah. was my, hello, my name is Brady. That's Oof. fucking. And then I had to I, like, I was guilty until proven innocent. Right. Yes. And they heard my entire yeah. story and I was like, and then I'm seeing a psychiatrist, like a professional therapist. They didn't like he's that. He's telling me that he's a Christian therapist though. Mm. And he's telling me that this is spiritual abuse and they're mm. well, well, I don't know if that's really spiritual abuse. I would just say it's a misunderstanding. No, Oof. fuck you. And yeah. that eventually I just It's really there. it's very creepy to me that they're they they operated towards you initially that they had some sort of entitlement to do that mm. to you. Yeah. But I I'm not surprised. I think I had to bargain for my my ability to even be there. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I know that people have that experience and because of their sexuality or the color of their skin or mm-hmm. anything like that, and it's just it's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yep. Uh, so, but that goes to my mind like what we were saying of like hearing yeah. that sort of like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah. so all of the yeah uh, all all of those like okay so this doesn't make sense yeah but if i go that route there's uh, there's just always something that draws you back in yeah and you is. do such a good job on the first i wish i could like break it down better but you d- just read the book like everybody should read, read the book. Book. i yeah. really can't recommend this book enough it's re- it's Thank it's you. so it is so well like laid out and articulated. Jamie Absolutely. basically like takes her own experience and says like here are like the the mechanisms that like keep all of us in, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um and it and it comes back to this this religious trauma and mm. the the sort of cycle that that causes. Yeah. Um can you okay, so you do such a good job at talking about trauma in this 
context, can you talk about how, how PTSD and religious trauma syndrome and these things like sort of uh, start and show themselves later? Mm. Can you, is that too mm-hmm. big of a question? <laughs> no. Okay. I read a book about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite thing to shut people down on Twitter when I don't feel like getting into like a discussion. I'm like, I wrote a book about this. <laughs> How dare you? And I'm like watching myself as I'm doing it. I'm like, for sure there are people who think that what I'm doing is like super conceited yeah. and I don't care. Right, right, right. And audiobook. Also that, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's even better. And it's man. my own to. voice. Bam, bam. It's so I good. love it. Um, and there will be a print version soonish. I'm working oh, with some congrats. folks on getting that, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as far as your question is, um, can you narrow that down a little bit for me when you're saying like to explain kind of like um, religious trauma and PTSD, like where it comes from, how that occurs? What are you yeah. mostly thinking of? Like what kind of experience are you thinking of when you're thinking? Right, about right. It? Okay. You quoted Peter Levine in your book mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit. Yeah. Um, Maroon 5? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Peter Levine of Maroon 5. <laughs> Trauma expert. <laughs> trauma expert. Um, he at one point you, you quoted him saying trauma is defined by the by the body uh, by how the body responds to an incident, not yeah. the incident itself, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, from a from a uh, like the one of the problems with religious trauma is that it is not an individual event. Yeah. It's it's like it's like a massive. Like if you were to, it could be seen as an event, but it would be the event is the first 21 years of your right. life. Yes. Yeah. Okay. A prolonged yeah. event. Yeah. It's yeah. a prolonged event yeah. or, or there are these, that like mostly... you talk about how the idea of hell yeah. can, yeah. 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 can mm-hmm. like cause trauma, yep. even though it, hell is not something that we experience yep. personally. Yeah. Uh, so can you, can you talk about how religious trauma particularly is problematic because it's difficult to detect because oh, of yeah. things like that? Definitely. Great question, Chuck. Thank you, you so it. much. <laughs> um, that's something that I feel like is one of the most, one of the biggest reasons where I was like, I have to fucking write this book is because I felt like most, when I first learned that, that trauma is more rooted in when you develop, when you have a relationship towards trauma and you um, experience post-traumatic stress and then if it's prolonged post-traumatic stress disorder and all the ways that affects you, when I first learned that that doesn't even have to be something that you directly interacted with, it can just be an idea of a thing that traumatized you, my whole life made sense. Because uh-huh. yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't know I was looking for the permission to call the first 27 years of my life traumatizing. Tra- yeah, uh-huh. I did not know I needed that until yeah. someone, Peter Levine, explained to me via his many books that you don't have to actually, it can be, it can be something that you have either imagined as threatening or something that someone else has told you that you just feel threatened by. Mm -hmm. Like trauma is so incredibly subjective. And I think one of the things, the reason why I felt so motivated to write this book is because I kept seeing people, this is a really overly simplified way to put it. I kept seeing people get that part wrong in public discourse. I kept seeing people invalidate the reality of religious trauma or being traumatized by a belief system or being traumatized by ideas because they're like, well, trauma is a car accident. You're fucking fine. You weren't hit. You weren't whatever. It was just this like, if your body wasn't directly impacted by a thing that directly Mm. hurt you, then that's not trauma. 
And the science, li- I mean, it's right there. And I mean, yeah. you gotta like dig for it and read the books, but like it, it, it is proven at this point that like, that's not the full story of trauma. Mm-hmm. So when you learn that that's not the full story of trauma, you get to kind of look back at your experiences and your beliefs. And it's not even so much. Here's what I've been thinking about most recently and talking to people in, in my professional work. And then also just like friends of mine who share this background who, and like friends of mine are reading the book and wanting to talk about it. I had a friend who told me recently that she was like, you know, there's a lot that you wrote about that resonated with me, but I know it resonated with my husband more deeply because, and Hmm. basically when we got to the end, you know, to the kind of meat of this conversation, what she was saying was that he, they grew up in similar religious environments, but his parents were very kind of authoritarian about it. Her parents encouraged critical thinking. Hmm. And so I don't even think it's so much that like, I mean, I, hell is bullshit and no one should teach it or believe in it. But I actually think it's even like more so that's problematic is the combination between the combination of hell is a place and you don't get to decide differently. Like that level of indoctrination and authoritarian influence, as opposed to we believe hell is a place. What do you think? Like that, I feel like the, because when you look at trauma, it's the things that feel inescapable that are most traumatizing. And when you're told that hell exists and you don't get a you don't get to decide about what you think about that, that idea becomes a reality to you that feels inescapable. And that's what's ultimately, that's the thing that creates the unresolved event in your body Uh that you then have to continually compensate for, or at least I did over and over and over and over throughout the course of my whole life, particularly in my childhood, where I would like have these vivid visions and ideas. And the thing that was really confusing I think I read this in the book. I don't know. I spent so long writing it. I have not read it back, but, (laughs) and then reading it for the audiobook. But I, what I do remember is the confusion of taking that so seriously that it, it gave me panic attacks when I was a child. And then my parents going, Oh honey, you're taking this too seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Can I actually, can I stop you there for a second? Because there's, this is like something really interesting that I have not heard a lot of commentary on, but I've been really interested in exploring. Mm-hmm. Is this a big part of the reason that our generation experiences so much religious trauma is that our parents' generation chose Christianity yes. for the most part. Yes, yeah. And our generation was born into it. Yes. So for us, it, it, it growing up, it was our entire reality. Yep. Whereas for our parents, it was an augmentation to the reality mm-hmm. they are created. Yes, absolutely. So they were able to pick and choose what they let in You're and right. what they didn't. That's a really good Whereas point. Whereas we let mm. everything in. Yeah. We didn't have a choice, we didn't have a choice. to let everything yeah. in. And that is is what like we that is that's part of the gap and that's part yeah. of why we can't communicate with our parents and it's part of why our right. parents don't understand why we're traumatized yes and they're just so emotionally stunted well you have well, yeah. you have the Brene Brown of their yes no you're correct like right? you have the social shift that you're referring to and then you also have the lack of awareness yes. and accessibility to resources of like mental health mm-hmm. prioritizing like hey therapy's a thing go talk to someone my parents didn't hear well, that shit well I mean Christianity was the solution to yes, their Right. to yeah. their their psychological okay. issues You're instead right. yeah. of actual science. Yeah. And but for us the solution is getting away from it. So because it's like, it wasn't working. We'll never understand yeah. each other. Right. Yes. You're right. And that's, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, I think that that that's a phenomenal I'm glad you that's recorded because I'm like I feel like that's a phenomenal way to sum up what's so 
many of us, because I mean, I do, as far as my clients go and people who have read the book or have interacted with me about this work that I do, it does by and large, like run the gamut of like, I think youngest person I've had a conversation with about this stuff professionally has been like 19, oldest has been in their 60s. But by and large, it's mid to late 20s from from that age wow. group to yeah. like early 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that again, uh-huh. th- that's those of us who were being parented by those people that exactly what you just said, like chose it. Like I know that for for my for my dad, like my mother converted, but for my dad it was very much his parents had been it had been centered for that's something they chose later in life because they both had such my grandparents on my dad's side had such family instability that the idea Ooh. that like Billy Graham was putting out, which it's, it's, it was, he was mostly giving people directives about like the way to like create a cohesive, like nuclear family. Well, right. and then also God. Um, right. and so that, I think that message was so appealing to my parents or to my grandparents who had both experienced in different ways being orphaned at the age of 12, that then they were like, wow, we want to create a different environment, different life for our children. And so then they kind of were like, well, social structure, this, this social, um, yeah, the social structure that the church is offering to us. Right. And I've talked to my uncle about this too, mm. which is so interesting because my uncle does not understand what happened to my dad. My uncle is super liberal okay, and he's like, he's, he left the church like as soon as he could. And my grandparents never had a problem with that. And my, my uncle is like, I don't understand. Like, I mean, this is my phrasing, not his, but he's like, I don't understand what radicalized your dad because mm. we were not brought up that way. It was truly, this is what, this is where our parents found meaning. And they made it very clear to us that this is where they found meaning, but they didn't expect us to find the meaning there too. So I, so there's, you're completely correct, Chuck. There, there's something that shifted for like our parents and that generation. And mm-hmm. it didn't even shift for everyone because you have my, it's weird. My uncle and my dad are two, I mean, vastly different people. Right. And neither one of them understand each other because they both feel like they arrived at the conclusions that their parents set up for them, which okay. is so interesting. interesting. I didn't yeah. realize how common some of our background was because you mm-hmm. came from a very Southern Baptist background. Mm-hmm. And so did yeah. I. And when you were describing yourself as a kid, like very existential crises and all of these, that mm-hmm. was bucking me to the core. Yeah. And eventually went to Calvinism, something yeah. that was a lot more yeah. formal. Yeah. For me, I... My family was, there was abuse. My uh, dad was, you know, cheating and he was physically and emotionally mm. abused. And my mom has some mental health issues that wasn't easy. And so there was no stability, but Calvinism seemed great. Right. Because everything was secure yes. and stable. And, and certain. And yeah. I could predict it and I can figure it out, you know. Literally predetermined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, Jesus. what did the Calvinist say when he fell down the stairs? I'm glad that's over. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> Glad that's over with. <laughs> okay, two things. Number one, that joke's great. Second of all, that delivery was flawless, <laughs> we're, we're gentlemen. On, we're on point. We're on point. Wow. Uh, so I wanted to take kind of like a like a little bit of a uh, an object lesson, I guess. Ooh, uh, this is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of winging it, so so bear with me here. Uh, so okay, so you mentioned in your book that um, you were you came to the conclusion at one point that you were a sex addict because you could not control I literally your just talked desires. to the client today about this yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so and, and that was like yeah. i was like oh fuck yeah that's pretty yep. legitimate i mean that mm-hmm. that's like parallels my story for sure oh yeah i went to um a gr- i went to group therapy for for 
quote unquote porn addiction, but it was really broader uh, sex addiction. And I laugh because porn addiction isn't real. No, no, just it's so not real. everybody knows. <laughs> right, right. It's not. It's probably you're probably just insanely depressed or anxious or yes, have PTSD. You're addicted to the shame. So of okay, the porn. but what happens is right. Like so. Okay, so you're. Uh, you are presumably engaging in some kind of compulsive sexual behavior. Something that you you well, personally... Well, that's the fun part, Chuck. I wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. I was just thinking about having sex because I was 23 years old. <laughs> and I thought that's what was wrong okay, with me. Well, okay, this hypothetical going, person though. that I'm talking yeah, about yeah. is engaging in some kind of, <laughs> some kind of negative... Uh, some kind of negative compulsive sexual behavior yeah. that they're not comfortable with. Right? Sure. Like for me, it was like like uh, like inappropriately you know flirting with like my friend's wife or something like okay. it would, um like in a in a way that's like crossing the line okay and this and that was a manifestation of my own trauma right that was mm. like in, yeah, in shame reality is feeding that in reality yeah. that was that was shame feeding that but it was also like trauma from repressing my sexuality absolutely for a really long time yep. so you're moving towards where the desire lives it is, and there's technically nothing wrong with that but when you don't know that that's what you're doing right you pathologize it it's literally yeah. my own sexuality trying to make room for itself in my body and it was it was not doing that yeah but to go back to what i was saying about how you you do such a good job at explaining how the system ropes you back in right like Mm -hmm. you get out there and Mm -hmm. you do the thing and then you feel terrible about it and then you say oh i did that because i was rebelling against god i need god so that i can fix that so you go back into the system that caused the problem in the first place it's a closed loop and that's just, that's an, that's an example, yep. right? You could do that with any kind of negative behavior. Yes. That is considered quote unquote sinful. Yep. Right. And that, uh, that's a, a shame cycle, but it's also a, a manifestation of trauma. Yeah. Right? Oh, yes. So absolutely. let me ask you this. What, run down some ways that some of our listeners could look at the, like reflect on their own lives and say, these are manifestations of trauma Mm. because I I was reading your book in as somebody that knows a lot about trauma. Yeah. I was like surprised to be like, Oh fuck. Uh, Like, Oh, that too. Yeah. Oh, that's Uh a manifestation of trauma, man. I think, okay. So I haven't really fully thought through this because it's just the first thing that's coming up right now. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about the word should and how uncomfortable mm. I am with it in general. Mm. And I've heard from people who have had uh, maybe their therapist or their, you know, their coach, their counselor, whoever, tell them. One person recently, and I can't remember where I saw this from. So if it's you, I'm sorry, I'm not crediting you. Um, say that their therapist literally doesn't allow the word should in their room when they're working together. Um, I think that any place in which you are shooting on yourself is a pretty good <laughs> Did indicator. You should, <laughs> you should yourself. What is that smell? <laughs> it's should. Um, <laughs> any place in which you catch your inner monologue saying I should not have, or I should, and your desire is telling you something differently, um, at least deserves to be slowed down and looked at. Wow. There is hard stop. Yeah. Hard, yeah. Honestly, Hard stop. That's, in, stop. that's intense. It's, yeah. I, I, it is. And I also, so part of the reason why I'm like, I'm seeing this more clearly now is because as I'm moving away from decentering 
you know, obviously years ago, I decentered being an evangelical and now I'm decentering being a former evangelical. And I feel my body really being able to fully embrace being a witch. And the thing about witchcraft is that it actually works with the energy of desire on purpose. Okay. Um, whereas you have some, maybe some spiritual traditions that are like, Oh, the end of desire, the resistance to desire Mm -hmm. is like what leads to enlightenment, which is don't believe that it's a whole big long thing. I'm literally recording two podcasts tomorrow about that. So stay tuned folks. But there is something I feel like, I mean, at the very least desire is information. And the only thing making you think that that desire needs to be pathologized is that somewhere along the line, you either got good advice or bad advice telling you to resist that desire. It's your job to figure out if that was good advice or bad advice. Mm. And usually when a should is going to show up, it's pretty often that that was bad advice. Oh, Wow. Yeah. It's such a manipulative phrase that gets so entwined in everything that we do. There's a video game that touches on that where they thank you kindly and kindly was like this trigger word that kind of made you just do whatever he said. Whoa. And um, that's what it kind of feels like. that feels so gross and manipulative. That's such (laughs) good story writing. It is good. That's impressive. I don't even like video games. I'm like, I want to play that. There's a traumatizing thing that you brought up in the book that hit me. We always talk about fight and flight, mm-hmm. but one word that you're talking about is feelings of inescapable, like feeling freeze. stuck and yep. freeze. Well, yeah. you know, when you, I'm going to let you finish that thought, but like all I could think about when I was reading that was like sitting in a pew. Oh, right. Oh, like, shit, like, man. Yes. Being, like you are being, oh. you are in a position where it's like not appropriate for you to leave, but you're being fed traumatizing information. Yes. And you you can't go and anywhere. And your body is like, yes. like you may you might you be you might be freezing in that moment, yeah, but truly. you would never know because you're just sitting in a pew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you ever been huh. called out, like even like in a sermon for something good or something where? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. the pastor's like, you know, Chuck last week served the homeless, and sure. uh, he did a great job. <laughs> there was always like that 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 yeah. electric feel yep. that that would kind of like like a spotlight hits you in a dark room and it's not yeah. a great feeling it's not and it's not a horrible feeling it kind of has to do with that feel that time but yeah then you kind of grow to like expect it and yes. it's just oh i hate that oh, i don't yeah observe especially when you're a part of a charismatic community that does where they can read minds <laughs> where they right? read minds and they, they're they prophetic at you and so it's like you yeah. don't know when they're just yes. gonna pick you and tell you things yes. about yourself and okay but then you have this weird you want but what it. is that okay you i want to stop you for a second what does yeah. that feel like right now we're running into a situation yeah. online where there's problems with people right doing that exact thing I know. of calling out what you say and your intentions and, and applying that to you mm-hmm. in a public space that's what it feels like to me it feels like freeze and it, sucks. it feels like it feels like the response or um, and I had someone point this out to me. That's, you know, as the science, as we're figuring out more about the fight, flight, you know, response, Ooh. PTSD response, development to PTSD. Um, there's five of them. There's fight, not three. There's fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And then when I cannot remember, but I have a client who's been fuck. centering. Fawn. I think fuck. <laughs> fuck. That. I think that was mine. That's been mine for a while. Um, sex switch. I, I compensate through fucking. What? What does fawn mean? Fawn. Um, it means you kind of play into the 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 whims of your abuser. You try uh-huh. and and move. compensate for or try and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like satiate, appease. appease. That's appease. it. Yes, you try and appease your abuser, and that's your survival tactic. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. 
And so there's a part of me that's, I'm like, I feel like already even the book that I just wrote last year is already a little outdated because that's, I love science. I love that it does. My book needs to be partially wrong in two years. Like I need us to find out more things. Um, so yeah, so the, the, the freeze response or that fawning response, I'm seeing both of those happen a lot, especially as we're figuring out who we all are in online spaces and like how everyone is a little bit on edge about like, if I make one misstep, I'm going to get canceled. And there's a, there's some of that that's freeze and some that that's fawn there's an overcompensation that can happen where you're fawning Mm. and you are fawning over and because you're like please don't target me please don't cancel me please don't abuse me in some way um so i think that's the interesting thing about trauma though is you there's no way for you to be able to plan for ahead of time what your unique trauma response yeah yeah yeah. you can't and it could be different for each situation too because it's triggering back to different different things yeah mm-hmm Fuck. I'm a fawner at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, I think likely, I think we all have a little bit of each one. Again, I don't know. Talk to somebody who knows about the brain more than I do, but like, I think I've seen fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And I'm sure if I could remember the other one, I've seen that too. At come up, I could, t- I could probably, if I sat here long enough, name for you two or three instances off the top of my head where I responded yeah. in each of those ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's again why trauma is so hard to pin down because there's no formula for what happens and then you respond and how do we see it clearly? So much trauma comes from people who are not aware and they're narcissistic. Yeah. Fawning just is, it's kind of like the yin to that, to that yang. Yeah. You know, the, it's like a, it's an instant diffusal of that situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us did that with God. If there was mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. bad happening, we would just go on our, roll on our backs and yeah. say, we're, we're worthy of this suffering. We're, you know, I agree we, with you. I'm so bad. Yeah, you're Please so love great. me so oh, I can God, be good thank again. Thank you for this cancer. Yeah. Thank you for. Well, that's why I thought that the best thing for me to possibly do, like I, this is what I've been packing, unpacking last week is like over the last week. Is that, oh, wait, a lot of the way I live and move and function now, at least in part, is informed by the fact that when I was younger, Mm. because I was being abused and my home wasn't safe and all Mm. of that stuff, the idea of God was the only safe place for me. And what I knew, what I was being told by just just my environment, Southern Baptist, the specificity of my church, those people, is that if you really want to do the best possible thing and make God love you the most, you die for God. So from Mm. eight or nine years old, I was like, then that's what I'll do. Cause I am so desperately need to be loved and my family's not going to love me. My mother's not going to love me. I need God to love me. So God, I'll die for you. Mm. And that's still 20 years later, 20 plus years later has informed the way that I then respond to certain things that are happening socially where my partner had to be really honest with me about some stuff the other night. And he was like, I, you have work to do. And it's not you getting thrown in prison for driving a stranger across the border to get an abortion. Right. It's not that. Yeah. Like, and I was like, and of course, immediately I'm like, but it has to be that. Like at at the very least, I need to be willing to do it. Right. But it's like, then the longer, the longer I sat with that with my body, I was like, why do I go there immediately? Yeah. Why do I go to the, no, I'll die for this right, immediately. Right, right. And I'm not saying that maybe that isn't where I'll end up anyway. And I'm not saying that that's not something I want to be willing to do if I needed, but so I'm big. like, holy shit. My early years were entirely formed with, I will only be loved if I die on behalf of a cause. Yeah. That's yeah, fucking yeah. it. And I'm like, have yeah. I built a persona 
for the last 20 years of right, my life, cool. my or own persona towards myself even, on it's that. It's not even necessarily I'll only be loved, right. but it's that I will be loved the most. The most. Or, or valued. I will, I will be valued, the most, or I'll be the valued, most effective. effective. Yeah, valued the yes, most. Yeah. By right. what we can give to that religion and what yeah. we can offer. Right. And, and it's so disgusting if you really look at it yeah. and knowing... Ugh, yeah. And yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just wonder, like, how, how often do I do that with things? Yeah. Like, do, I know that, like, I am a, I'm a perfectionist, and that mm-hmm. holds me back in a lot of ways because, no, like, nothing that I make is perfect, right? So I just, I don't finish things mm-hmm. because they're not perfect. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, be, do is that out of a sense of martyrdom? Is that out of a sense of like mm. this has to be? Like the only completion that we experience in this life is death. So is compl- is is the fact that I can't complete things because I'm not dying to finish a song. Oh my you know god! I mean? a recommendation wow. without like imposing a live advice onto you. Um, sure, whatever, Brady. Brene Brown. <laughs> Brene Brown talks about this that it is it's kind of like a defense mechanism of vulnerability that perfectionism can mm. keep us from being vulnerable oh, yeah. with other people because. Wow. We're trying to keep those cards close to our chest of sure. who we are, but showing yeah. that vulnerability, showing that you could mess up and some, yes. you know, audio could be wrong or yeah. that right. you may look stupid. Being at seen a time. in process. Yeah. That's a big right. thing for me because with dogmatic fundamentalist backgrounds, mm-hmm. we're used to just receiving something that we all consider collectively perfect mm-hmm. and untouchable, mm-hmm. but we were not that type of person. And so yeah. now as we're trying to kind of like go through this process of figuring out who we are, we're not very forgiving of ourselves because we expect instant perfection yeah. instead yeah. of there yeah. being a process of evolution. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. That's been a big thing that I've been dealing with that's been carried yeah. over from my old fundamentalist. You know, background. I'm really in, in this moment right now, I'm actually very struck by how, cause I've known you both for many, many years, but then even just like thinking like about a solid this 15, now, 15 for yeah. us, for sure. For like maybe probably. close to 10 ish. Yeah. I'm really struck by how much, even just in the last two years Fuck. from the la- from our first conversation in this kind of setting to now, how much growth all three of us all have three. experienced. Oh, and for I, sure. Yeah. I yeah, feel wild, like that's it? really important to even vocalize and like I didn't know what trauma was when we did our first interview. Well, and that, I didn't know shit about that, trauma. like the diagnosis, yes, but also the healing, like the medicine too. Right, like right. the ways in which you're like, man, am I getting caught in my perfectionist tendencies? And like you talking about vulnerability and like me talking about being seen in process and like being like, oh my God, do I want to die? Because I think that's what will make God love me. Like, yeah. and I feel like the reason why I want to say that, especially in this space where it's like mm. recorded and people will listen to is because I feel like that is something that I'm constantly talking about with my clients. The session I had right before I came over here today was literally having to drive home. The We talked about hard stuff for an hour and I was like, but you are on the right path. Don't Absolutely. change a yes, thing. Yes, like yes, you're yes. on it. You're in pursuit of the thing just because it doesn't feel feel like it's working right now or just because something hasn't changed since yesterday doesn't mean you're not doing the work. Like you are doing it. Like, so when you get to have moments like this and conversations like this where from our perspective and that's why I'm like sitting here, I'm like, wow, I'm remembering not necessarily the stuff we recorded when we were talking about two years ago, but the stuff that like when we went out to lunch and the stuff we yeah. were recording, like oh, yeah. talking about when we weren't recording, I'm seeing such immense growth. Yeah. And sometimes that perspective is so helpful for when you are recovering and healing because the subconscious is a son of a bitch. Like yeah. it just, mm-hmm. it hides things Never from you. Up. And if you were, and going back to what you were talking about with parenting, like if you were parented inside of this belief system and you 
were not allowed to question it, you were not allowed to develop critical thinking in regards to it, then your subconscious developed between ages zero and seven for these things to be unquestionable about how the world works, yeah. about how the how who is in charge of the universe and who you are as a person. And unlearning this is incredibly brave yeah. and it also takes a very long time. Right. But that doesn't mean that you don't get touch points along the way of like, wow, this is vastly different and I fought for this and that that's worth celebrating. If you were going to die tonight, do you know where you... Stop. Just tell them about our website. Oh, just tell them to go to thelifeafter.org? Yes, they can go now, even without accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. (laughs) Thelifeafter.org. We have a blog, contact page, a link to our Facebook page, and more. All right, thelifeafter.org. Heavenly. It's huge to be able to stop and think to yourself and recognize in other people, holy fuck, we're growing. Yeah. This isn't just talking. We're not just yeah. talking shit right. on some fucking podcast or yeah. whatever, but talking about these things, having vocabulary for them, which is a big thing that Marlene Winnell did for us. Yes. And then you're coming back and doing, and we're able to do it with the podcast and yeah. all these other resources, uh, collaborating together and saying, let's build a vocabulary for this so people can talk mm. about their narratives. Yeah. They could talk about yeah. how they're healing. And that, that talking is bringing healing. Yeah. Yep. You touch yeah. on that in your book. What yeah. is it? Storytelling. Storytelling is as like use utilizing storytelling as a healing modality, yeah. which is what I do in my coaching work period. But then also it's something that, um, cannot remember his name. Maybe it's worse in there, but there's, um, just th- th- there's been some research and study and science behind just like literally opening up and sharing your stories, like mm. facilitates healing processes in your brain and in your body. Mm. And I think, I mean, I think, part of that at the very least part of that is just the removal of shame. Like the amount of times that in my client work where someone will say something and I will just make note of the fact that I'm like, did you notice that I didn't go anywhere? Did you notice that I'm still here? Like, did you, did you, have you noticed that? Because this thing, whatever it is that you just said that you were so afraid of saying lived in you as this thing that you were so afraid of saying, because you thought someone would disconnect relationship with you Mm -hmm. if you showed it. Mm -hmm. Did you notice like I haven't flinched? Like that gets to be a part of the new story that you are constructing about who you are and that thing that you just said. Like that's how you start to remove, that's how you start to decenter a shame response. Mm. And I mean, Brene Brown, like Brene, like that's her whole thing in like decentering shame is you can't, you can't really heal from that unless you actually, you can't really develop vulnerability without just fucking being vulnerable. The only way out is through. It's really fucking hard, but I think that like it's it's hard and it's valuable and I don't know if you can unlearn an authoritarian construct that tells you that perfection is not only expected but um, necessary. Um, I don't know if you can unlearn that idea of how to relate to yourself and other people without just being willing to be seen in process mm-hmm. wow. and being willing to kind of show up and say, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know if this is safe to say, but I feel like I trust you and my body's telling me this is safe. So I'm yeah. going to say it. And can you maybe just hold this space? With I, me? I know I have a, I had a huge problem with my, 
particularly my first therapist, I got a little bit better, but my first therapist was like, every time you come in here, you already have everything figured out. That, yep, that, uh, I get it. Like I, like, I just talk about something you that I already like, figured out. Here are the th- yep. is a report on here are yeah. the things that I've worked on. Let me show you all my victories yeah, yeah, in the yeah. last week. Let me, yes. pay, let me pay you $100 to listen to my essay about what I've already accomplished. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's still, it's still a challenge to me to this day to go into my therapist's office yeah. and talk about something that I haven't processed. Yes. It's yeah. really difficult it's for hard. me to do. It's yeah. hard. I mean, of because course. Because I don't, I'm not articulate. I sound, I'm stumbling over my thoughts and ideas. I'm just saying what happened. Yeah. And, and it's just like, so what are you going to do just, with it, man? You're just being a human, but like, yeah. but being you're very a human was something that was vilified. <laughs> period. <laughs> Don't um, let Twitter hear that. So, guys. okay. So this is like, this also, this is, this will bring us back to trauma, right? Because we're, <laughs> we are talking about, I mean, we're still talking about trauma, but <laughs> always, uh, always talking about trauma. Right. We're always, I, trauma makes the world go around, man. It really does. It's, it's, it's literally the ex, it and the figuratively, actually, the explanation yeah, for literally yeah, everything that that's ever happened. <laughs> Oh my god! No, I'm being serious. I'm looking at it from a there was physical. impact. Right. There was yeah, impact, yeah. and it branched off, and it just and now here we are repeating in the same cycles over and over and over. The Earth god, really bleak, needs to deal with it? its shit. She mm-hmm. really does. We need to. We need to get the Earth some therapy. Um, She's going through. Okay, some so the, the the process of the process of dealing with trauma mm-hmm. um, is you describe it as. Providing language for somatic experience. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, which mm-hmm. somatic, it just means like the, in the body as yeah. opposed to in the, the mind, right? Because mm-hmm. we have this hippocampus brainstem divide mm-hmm. and amygdala divide where trauma is stored in one part of the brain and you don't remember. Yeah. You don't have like words or, or memories yep. for it. Yeah. Um, and in a, bi- in a big part of that is just being open and talking about mm-hmm. your experiences. And part of the reason that our community in, the, in this like, this like post-evangelical movement mm. is functional is because it's a lot of people providing language for other people yes. to understand their own trauma, yes. right? So yes. can you talk a little bit about about that, about the process of, of building language and yeah. well, desensitizing? I think, yes, I think that that's something that, you know, in the, whether it's responses you guys have received from doing like this podcast in general or responses I've received from the episodes I've recorded with y'all or with other people. Um, that's something that I think is, um, I really love that that's a, a relatively new way that people can gather information. Like I love podcasts for that reason. Mm-hmm. Cause you can like literally, it's like you're listening in on a conversation that other people are yeah. having. Um, when you're just kind of in the room. I also really love podcasts cause when I listen to them, I'm like, Oh, people are talking and I don't have to respond. Uh-huh. And that feels great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause yes. I talk for oh a living. God, I respond yeah. for a living. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, this is really nice. Yeah. Just listen to Pete Holmes talk to someone else for like two and a half hours. Um, I think that what is so helpful about this is when you hear your experience in someone else's story, oftentimes you don't even know it was your experience until you hear someone else say it. Wow. Yeah. And there's something that kind of lights up in your body. Um, and that's, I mean, what I know to be true for, you know, just using our, the unbuckling the Bible belt episode here, like the amount of people that I still now, like a few times a week, will get messages from people who are like, Oh my God, this, like they say some form of this put language Mm. to what I went through. Or I know Linda K. Klein, when she wrote her book, pure, she was hearing that nonstop from people probably still is consistently like people who are like, Holy shit, you said the thing 
You said the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she labored over that book for 12 years wow. to be able to say the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is something absolutely invaluable about that because it I mean, does... She did 12 years worth of labor for a million people. Yes, you know? that's exactly it. And then when they grab hold of it and they have this like, oh, fuck, like that's me too. Like that's me too. And then they have someone else who did that work to show that experience, to give language to that, to that story. And then people can grab hold of that. And what I really want and hope that people will do is that they will then take that and realize I need to go share this story with a professional. I need to go share this story with someone who can help me find my way out of here. I think communal spaces of support are also vital, but they are not, I don't think they can function solely, um, for people to heal. But I think that that people being able to find the presence of their personal experience, to find their personal experience centered in someone else's narrative is what often opens up people's ability to see their own story more clearly. And I think other, someone else, someone else owning this happened to me. And I mean, that's kind of what happened to me too. Like when I left the cult that I was in, in England, it was like nine months where I was like, I could not understand what had happened to me and my body and my brain were reacting all these ways. And then I read someone else's story about their time at, at, so I was with the house of prayer in Europe and I read their story about international house prayer in Kansas city. And I saw the parallels. I saw yes, my experience and wow. this person sharing their story and it literally felt like a light switch just flipped on. And I went from one moment having no idea about anything to the next moment being like, I was in a cult. It <laughs> literally was that fast. Wow, like wow. I'm not saying it has to be that fast for it to be legitimate, but that's, I mean, it can be like, and it, right. cause that, that's the power of seeing your experience in someone else's story. And that's what's interesting to, to me about one of the things that there's like a bunch of stuff like with this book that I'm just like, there's elements of it that I like, I know I fought for that. Like no one will know, like there's certain parts of it that feel more valuable to me than others. Cause like there are parts of it that were way harder to do. And I remember, um, my second reader at one point telling me early on, like first, like six months of the research and writing process where he was like, yeah, cool. You got a lot of, got a lot of good information here. You got a lot of research. Where are you? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, where's your story? Like you, you're basically like waxing poetic about how bullshit St. Augustine is for like 12 pages. Like, yes. Okay. Interesting (laughs) that you want to talk about where the idea of, you know, original sin came from, but like what makes this, what will make this the most compelling is you telling your story. And that was the thing I knew I was the most, I was resisting the most because that's the most vulnerable possible thing. And he said this thing to me and he was like, look, if everything you're saying is true about what you went through and what you experienced. And he wasn't saying it wasn't. He was like, if yes, I agree with you, your experience is correct. But if that's the case, what it sounds like to me is that the main thing that they did that harmed you is they stole your voice. Right. So you need to get it back. Like all the more reason for you to tell your own story Mm. in this thesis. Wow. And that was so, I mean, it really is one of those moments. Like we hear about the stuff, you're like, I'll never forget it. It really, I mean, it, it, I, I never will. It was so compelling. And so I feel like that, and what I hear from people, sure, the research is helpful, but it's me sharing the specificity of my personal story 
that is allowing people the permission to connect with the research to begin with. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, if you lived this and I live something similar, and then you're realizing that this science backs up what happened to you and what you lived, maybe I get to use that science too and go find a therapist where I can say, this was trauma. Mm-hmm. Like it without without sharing my personal story, I mean, there's no way to know because it's that's not the world we live in, but I don't think it would have landed in that same way and i think that's true for everyone what convinced us as kids was stories yeah it was being told this is the truth this is what happened and we didn't have the ability to question what those things are true what's getting us out is be able to tell our story of what we've gone through and chuck you know you have to hear about my joseph campbell bullshit obsession uh, every fucking episode and (laughs) all of our listeners but i love it it it, you know that and and i don't and it's not just him because i think that there's should be a more inclusive uh story that our generation needs to start telling it isn't just a you know a man going and fighting for women or whatever but we need to have more narratives that reflect who we are today Mm. Joseph Campbell, I think, is uh, instrumental in that. But the the thing is, storytelling changes so much because it creates empathy. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have empathy as a kid, and so I mm. really loved stories. I was always reading an R.L. Stein book, and one you were that, allowed to read those. Yeah. Well, my I, my my fundamentalism was different than a lot. I went to huh. public school and everything because I had a bad home life. My parents okay. were divorced, and so I was kind of like you know brought up by television and video games Mm. and um rl stein books but i loved his books because it talked about kids who had messed up home lives oh wow there are some kids who weren't didn't have who had step brothers or whatever nobody in my life understands my step family rl stein was goosebumps right yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's what i thought love 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 him but it created those stories he did that on purpose Oh, for I sure. So. I bet he did. That's really amazing. I have a master class of his downloaded out the website. Oh, you do? <laughs> oh, that's so great. But, um, the thing is, stories allow us to empathize with one another. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed as like a gay person, that stories that I could tell about things that I experience, other people are able to relate to, even though they come from a different yes. uh, type of oppression or a different type of minority. And so that sort of intersectionality of stories and be able to tell each other's experiences allows us to see through other people's minds and kind of understand yeah. things from a different perspective, yeah. which doing that, I've had to put myself in my own perspective, mm. understanding who I was as a kid. Yeah. And it's kind of allowed me to heal and create yeah. kind of just storytelling after storytelling after storytelling. Yeah. Yep. Um, layer upon layer has just brought so much healing to me. And I think that that something you just said about that too, that I think is really important, which speaks to not only what I try and hold space for in my client work, but then also the way it felt to write this book um, is kind of creating that experience where current adult you speaks to younger you Mm -hmm. and provides language to younger you with unresolved trauma or um, shows up for younger you with that unresolved trauma in the way that you needed and didn't have then. Be the adult you needed as a kid. Yes, there's an aspect of this that in, in storytelling being healing, it's not just what happens externally where what we share with other people allows us to heal and them to heal too. It's that kind of internalized storytelling too, where you're putting, giving perspective, giving, releasing compassion, releasing, um, 
removing shame from the past experience. Like the amount of times that in, in client sessions where something has clicked, where I'll watch the person that I'm working with kind of realize that younger them was just doing the best that they could with what they had at the time. And there's something that fundamentally changes in that moment. And what you're doing then is you're providing younger you with a different story than Mm. the survival story that you had to have in order to get to here. So it's this like equal parts, like I know more now, let me help you um, release that story. And also um, let me thank you for getting us here Mm. because like we wouldn't like, I think about that all the time with like in regards to like my younger self and my body and just like, The stuff that I'm now perceiving as dysfunctional, I may not be, I would maybe would not have been alive had you not developed that pattern Yes, because you needed, you have the habits you have because they're giving you something you believe that you need. Sure. And that's the whole thing about being in relationship with your body is you get to continually, if it is a relationship and it's ever evolving, ever growing, ever changing, you get to constantly kind of check in about those and reevaluate and create the new story. But there's really no space for like hostility or shame about whatever your previous story was because your body developed that because they love you and Mm. they knew at the time that is what you most needed to get you to hear. And there's just something really powerful about using that storytelling as healing again, not just external, but also internal where you're like, hey, eight-year-old me, I see you. You did a great fucking job. We can let that go now, though. Like, we don't need that anymore. Yeah. Um, I really, I love you so much for knowing that we needed that then. But we can we can write a new story together now. God. Fucking cool. Mm. I love it. And I get to do this as a parent. That's like, literally, extra awesome. Yes. Extra that is so awesome. fucking... <laughs> Hilo's got a good life. So right after your book, I read Cindy, Cindy Wang Bryant. Bryant yeah. Am I saying right? Yeah. And yeah. It was about parenting. I'm just like, oh my God. Is it parenting unfundamentalist or what is it? Parenting um, forward. Parenting forward. That's right. Yes. Okay. So I'm really glad she wrote that. I think um, we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, but I think because for me, if you really, if you if you really wanted to get me down into the brass tacks of what, like, okay, you wrote this book, but like, now what? Like, what's the plan? What do we do moving forward? Um, my primary thing, if not maybe my only thing, idea of like what to do forward is we have to stop teaching traumatizing doctrines to children. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is how we will see this uniquely traumatizing System. religion of evangelical Christianity, mm-hmm. white evangelical Christianity. That is how we will see this leave the earth. Um, that is what I think will tear it down is to stop indoctrinating children. So because I think that, but I don't have the experience of being a parent, I'm really fucking happy to see that there is, there are resources and hopefully will become more resources for that speaks directly to that experience of how to not parent your children in that way. What was interesting, my sister and my dad came to my thesis presentation back in March and I didn't know how that would go. Um, I had a long conversation with my dad beforehand to kind of be like, this is what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. You can skip my presentation if you want. Cause you had to present in order to graduate. Yeah. So I was like, come for the graduation. You can skip the presentation, but I'll just, I'll answer any questions now. He did opt into going, um, which ultimately was like fine, but almost like in a frustrating way, which is, but what happened with my sister was actually really, really interesting because she, my sister's always been a very level headed, I think 
very healthy person in her ability to kind of hold space for multiple ideas and seemingly opposing ideas. She's great. And when I was younger, I didn't understand it. And I thought it was a character flaw. So now that I'm older, I'm like, can I have more (laughs) of that, please? Um, She said like, and for context, my sister is still, I mean, I think she would definitely say that she's an evangelical. Mm She, she and her husband go to, um, kind of a mega church ish, you know, 45 minutes like West of here and they're raising their kids inside that environment. And when she said a few really amazing things to me that whole weekend, but one of the things that she said was she was like, you know, I'm just real, I'm, I'm curious how I can make sure that I'm parenting. Like, I'm wondering how I can make sure that I'm parenting my kids so that they don't inherit the same trauma we did. And she didn't just mean that like from our parents, she meant that literally from this religion. And I saw, I was like, when she said, I was like seeing those wheels turning, (sighs) like she meant it. Like, and she's trying to figure out how to hold space for, um, because what I will say is their experience with my sister and and brother-in-law, their marriage was in a really tough spot and church, these, I would say the social structure of the church really came through for them in a way that helped their marriage heal. Good. They call that God. That's fine. I see it differently, but Mm -hmm. so for her holding on to God is a really, really important thing. But she also listened to my like 45 minute presentation and was like, I see merit here. How do I make sure I'm not parenting that way? And that's a complicated question. And maybe I need to like send her Cindy's book, but I mean, I don't, but I also don't know if she's ready for that. I would say a huge part of the, sorry. Cindy's book would be great actually. And it's still kind of written towards people who might believe in God. Right. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I would say a big part of what's going to contribute to that kind of toxic doctrine being passed from generation to generation is the the, uh, the bigger conversation about mental health that's happening. Oh, yes. Right? Like, yeah. The reason that our parents clung to Christianity mm-hmm. was because they didn't have other answers, right? Yeah, but true. we have better answers we now do. that are easier and clearer and, and don't require... Observation. Built on observation and don't require you to like devote your life to an ambiguous you know, system. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. It's just being aware of like what it means to be a healthy person and how to get there. Will he won't day of whether God's going to send people to hell and all of us are at the edge of our seats. (laughs) Right. right. Is he going to do it? It's like the sickest, like the most disgusting reality show of all time. Like what's he going to do? I don't know. (laughs) Which is why, again, going back to like, why were people telling me to calm down when I was freaking out about (laughs) hell when I was eight? I was like, why are you not as riled up as I am? Do you know the existential crisis I'm having? was not Truly. as real for them. No. It was just not as real for, I, I for think that you're right. generation. Yeah. Um, mm. So, okay. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, how do I say this? Trauma lives in the body, right? Yes. That's the name of a, of a very, who's the body in the keeps house? The, Trauma. The body. Yeah. That's true. Um, who's in the house? Who's in the house? <laughs> Religious <Where>? trauma. <laughs> Sorry, that's Carmen. <laughs> Tell me who, 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 Who's in the? Oh, <clears throat> um, okay. Carmen was still a little much for my family, so I don't even have Carmen that. Carmen was not context. enough for my family. Oh, <laughs> my mom was quite charismatic. He was just oh, wow. all right. Oh God! Like Jesus? <laughs> like Jesus is yeah. still all right? That's, that's yeah. DC talk. Was that one them? Jesus. They still, all, oh, is actually the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right? Actually, yeah, it was they were sampling the Doobie. Well, I mean, yeah. They were. But, doing whatever doing that thing uh anyway so okay okay so traumas in the body amygdala hijack right so you're you're you have trauma good band name 
Amygdala hijack. <laughs> I'm giving you that one, guys. <laughs> Thank you. It's mine. Whoever's got it. Yeah. Um, uh, if you, when you have trauma and you experience something that uh, re- that reminds your brain of that tr- of mm-hmm. of that experience, you your amygdala takes over. You have this fight or fight, mm-hmm. this fight or flight instinct. Your body reacts a certain way. Yeah. So we talk. We have this conundrum, right, in Christianity, like in in the post evangelical community, where we have this two times compounded issue where mm. you're taught not to trust your body <laughs> because it's evil, mm-hmm. but then you have trauma, so you can't trust your body all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So. So you've gotten over the my body is evil stuff, but now you're like, oh, but well, my but body I'm traumatized. has been harmed. My yeah. body's been harmed, yeah. and now I'm freaking out every time yeah. I, you know, see a couch that looks like a pew or whatever. Yeah. you know, whatever it is, uh, it can and it can literally be things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you have anything? I have not heard of terribly good answer for this. I think it's something we're still figuring out. But how do you learn to trust your body and when, when and when? Do you have anything, any comment on that? This is my whole secret sauce, Chuck. This you is me give it away for free. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 I guess so, yeah. It is uh, so layered. You know what's funny? We should just end the podcast here and say, to like, seek further. Go oh, enroll in my course. That will be <laughs> yeah. available probably a year from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or get on my wait list. exclusive. All right, well, right? thanks everybody right? for listening. This all right, has this been has been wonderful. Thanks, guys. Um, no, okay, but in all seriousness, that's even a hard notes. question to answer like every time someone believe it or not guys I'm not trying to be an asshole on Twitter all the time but when someone asks me that question in that context or even a context like this it's hard to even know how to answer because I'm like this is why my career is built on answering that question is because it takes four to six months for me to introduce that concept alone to people about how to start doing that like what that paradigm shift looks like and it and it you know begins in my whole thing about like centering you know your body is a person, not an object, not a machine, not a vessel of sin, whatever. Um, and so it is, but I even, even, even hearing myself give that answer, I'm like, but that even makes me uncomfortable because then that to me feels like I am unintentionally saying as if I have access to this secret and you have to come to my space to get this right, right, secret. Right. And I hate Yeah, we just that. had an episode with Rick Allen Ross recently where we talk about cult leaders. <laughs> That's not- yes. Come join my cult. <laughs> um, I have talked with like with uh, Michael and Lisa Gunger and, and I have joked really a bunch here, about Jamie. our cult that we're, we're building. We're calling you out on your cult. Yes, call me out on my cult. On your sex um, cult. Your you think Corey Pig hasn't already done that <laughs> multiple times over? Oh my God. He's come on. Um, but something now, you're struggling with, like of how to word. I'm, and- yeah, I'm really trying to figure out. Like, I mean, that's what I'm in the thick of right now. Now that this book is birthed and out in the world, I'm like, okay, my next thing up is trying to figure out how to make this. I don't want to call it a secret, but like, really, or magic. I don't know what to call it. This like thing, this like beautiful knowing that I found in my relationship with my body and like how well I can hear her and what I know that that looks like and what I know is available to everybody. I'm trying to figure out how to distill that into something that is accessible for as many people as possible without needing to come to me directly. This is why I have a hard stop with my client work is because I'm like, you're not going to depend on me. Like I'm here to show you how to depend on you, but it does, it does take time. And so I'm trying to figure out how to, um, this, how to actually, I'm literally trying to figure out how to answer that question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why I saved it because it's a really hard question It's it's such a hard question. I have taught one workshop 
really poorly because it's my first workshop ever. Everyone was so nice. They're like, no, you did great. And I'm like, I didn't. And I just need to not do great on that because I'm learning. It's the whole mm. vulnerability thing. Um, but I am looking at like that thing I taught, a, that workshop that I taught about this concept and what this looks like and who took us away from ourselves and how to come back home. I'm trying to figure out how to make that into something that I can literally teach like to be able to literally like you guys like pay a one-time fee and enroll in this course like and you have access to this information for the rest of your life and it sets you up to like develop this paradigm shift that then you and your body get to like do this work and your body becomes your teacher like it's in and it is and I acknowledge the question too it's especially hard when you are talking about trauma because your literal physical body will be doing things and reacting in ways that you don't have all of the information about. Um, and you're trying to find out what it is that your body's trying to say to you. Like, what are you trying to tell me, babe? Like what right. is going on right now? Cause you're reacting in a way that I, I didn't expect and I'm so sorry, but I just want to know what's going on. So it's like in decentering this. And I mean, just to cut you off for one second, it takes a long time to get to the point where you can even acknowledge the even, fact that your body's reacting yes, weird to mm, a thing. Absolutely. Right? And I, you know, I notice that too a lot with people when I'm going through my intake form with people, there's a section on there where we're talking about um, like illnesses and pain in the body and how often people are like, I forgot that I had pain mm. because I'm just, I just live with it. I'm just used to living uh-huh. with my pain. Yeah. So it doesn't strike me as as abnormal because it's my normal. It doesn't strike me as something that maybe this is an attempt from my body who loves me to try and talk to me about something that harmed me in my past or in the present. Um, it's just I'm just used to waking up sore. Yeah, I'm used to waking up every day and having this specific um, imbalance or maybe like dysfunction. Like that was a big one for me was such like the dysfunction of what was going on inside my body internally. It was like, I didn't know there was anything else. I remember when I, when I first started like healing my body or going down the path of healing, this really vivid feeling where I was like, holy shit, is this what, is this what humans feel like? (laughs) Because all I knew for my entire life, no exaggeration, was I ate food and I was in crippling pain. Wow. That's it. I literally thought all of you guys, everyone, part of being being a human was you eat food, you're in pain. Yeah. I thought your body just was in pain when you were digesting. And then six years ago, I started my body started talking to me and was like, let's try some things. And I removed some stuff that I'd apparently been allergic to ever since I was born. Thanks mom. Um, (laughs) and I was like, Oh, there, this is, this is what you've all been doing the whole time is just eating and feeling okay. That's crazy. So there is a communion wafers that you were (laughs) actually technically. Yes. I am allergic to the body of Christ, which is a joke and not a joke. Um, cause they are, they're wheat. And glutenness, their glutenous, yeah, which yeah, yeah. some turn progressive places are like well, gluten free line, but gluten free. What parts yeah. of Jesus you get? What part of Jesus? Because you could get his thigh. Glutinous Maximus, too. Oh my God. Oh, he's a dad. It's a dad joke. It's okay. okay. No more life after. No more. No more. We're done. We're taking away life after from you. Your life after privileges have been revoked. No, okay. So, but to circle all the way back around, that question is so good that I feel like 
It is the question. That question mm. is how to answer that question and give that information to people in a way where they can they can begin to connect with themselves, love their bodies, experience the love that their bodies have for them, heal themselves. That question is what wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. That question is what keeps me up at night. Yeah. That question is what drives me to do everything I do. That question it it is it is the question that I feel like I will be exploring and and figuring out and asking my body about how to best explain that question to people for the next few decades at least. Cool. And hopefully it won't take that long for me to like figure out. You I mean, she'll found teach me. You've for. got the. <laughs> you've already given her a shot. Right. No, but like, I mean. Fair. She will die like, for I'm it. I'm giving my life on you, behalf of the thing. Your, I you mean, are you're your right. own two electric boogaloo. <laughs> you are your own two electric boogaloo. Wait, there is it go. a number two or is it comma T O O? Because both of those could be fun. I like that. Either one, or, really. We'll say two. So yeah, I mean, like you know, stay tuned, guys. Like I, there. I think what's fun is that I have talked with my clients about the fact that at some point, almost every person I work with in my coaching space is like, you know. Unless someone works with you, there's no way to know what the hell it is you do. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's true. And that's actually the, like, I see that. And it's actually one of the hardest things I'm coming up against because I'm like, this cannot be dependent on me. Like my long-term goal is to like, cause I believe in this thing. My long-term goal is to make it as accessible to people as possible to make it a continuing education course for therapists, coaches, counselors to, you know, teach themselves because this needs to be bigger than me. Yep. Um, it cannot be dependent on me for a lot of reasons. Um, and so, but so I, so that's what's hard right now is I'm like, I acknowledge that question and that question is so complicated and I feel like I'm chipping away at that question with every person I work with every time we talk. And I'm yeah. usually talking with every person I work with for four or five or six months at a time. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's a process. Can I ask a follow-up practical question? <clears throat> yes. So we talk a lot about being one with your body of how fundamentalism is kind of separated, disassociated us from the identity of who we are, our mm -hmm. actual bodies and how our body can communicate. Um, I've started practicing like I'm a secular humanist and I like, like uh, secular mindfulness. And so mm -hmm. I do meditation and mm -hmm. shit like that. But I've added it into whenever I meditate, um, some of the things that you've taught me into that where I stop and I check in with my body and I like to check in, analyze, make sure each step of me is okay. And is yeah. in line, isn't okay. Yeah. What questions could I be asking my body at that mm. time? I feel like very often what centers my self-communication with my body like the kind of guiding theme is in one way or another checking in and asking her how safe she feels and that can be in general or that can be about a certain situation a certain relationship a certain circumstance a certain um, idea decision whatever it might be um because I think I think we've all had some sort of felt experience at some point where we if I were to ask you to like, hey, can you conjure up in your body a memory of a time where you felt extremely unsafe? And hey, can you conjure up a memory in your body of a time when you felt extremely safe? I think we can kind of at least get adjacent to those feelings and then use that as like a roadmap for in a moment in communicating with our bodies. How safe are you? How safe do you feel right now? Do you feel safe? Um, and then building off of whatever answer you hear. Yes, no kind of 
not really. I don't want to tell you. Like sometimes my body says that to me and then I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, why? Like that everything, everything you hear in response is like information for the next thing to say. So I think, especially as it relates to healing from trauma, um, So people who are maybe coming from a a similar context that we're all coming from, acknowledging that religious trauma is a thing, trying to reconnect with our bodies, centering the felt sense of safety is vital. Mm. And I think any, any conversation that you're going to have with your body to try and know your body better or to try and like communicate to your body, like I love you. And I know that you have only been loving me the whole time. Um, Anytime that you can you can center that felt sense of safety wow. is going to be helpful. Mm. One favor that I've been trying to do my body is I know that I have a very active imagination mm-hmm. and I always have been. It goes back to my storytelling, everything, mm-hmm. which yes. goes to anxiety because anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yes. When, yeah. You know, I've we've talked about this a little bit of uh, what we don't know or, you know, what we don't know, our, our brains fill in and writes a story for it. Yeah. So my story is always like fucking R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. or it's reflective of the really bad trauma and like going through poverty while trying to raise a kid and being mm. disfellowshipped and losing my job and trying to pay for a divorce. You know, all of the, that's when my body felt so tense and yeah. so tight and so crinkled up. Um, but I know there's a lot of things that trigger those things that aren't true. Mm. And so I have to acknowledge that with my mind Yes, and say, I'm not, I'm going to stop my imagination mm-hmm. from going through this anxiety and worry because I know that it physically is touching my body and it's yes. affecting my body. Yeah. So a favor that my my brain is trying to do for my body is to be proactive and look for those things that could cause me to be more anxious and create more of these stories that are going to effectively crinkle my body back yeah. up and put it back all onto my shoulders and yes. everywhere yeah. else I keep my pressure. You know? Yeah. I think you saying that too made me just think of something as well. Like, um, it is partially the asking and like the, are you safe? And then very often too, it is, it is, it's less about the asking and more of the reinforcing of like, Hey, you are safe. You are safe. I know there's a story in our brain right now that is trying to tell it's rooted in a past experience and that experience is legitimate. But right now in this moment, you and I are safe. I am here. I am taking care of you. It is going to be okay. And then noticing how, how you respond to that, noticing how your literal physical, it's something in my client work often, and we're talking through sensitive stuff or talking about hard things. And I'll just leave some space and I'll be like, what are you, what are you sensing in your body right now? Tell me what you're literally feeling in your physical body right now. And that, and, and I mean, there's, there's no wrong answer to that because it's just what is happening and what's coming up. But very often when we have held space and we have, given permission for emotions and we have unpacked the hard stuff and maybe they've said some truth and I'm like, notice I haven't gone anywhere. Like that reinforcement very often towards the end of a session when I'm like, Hey, like check in, like what's going on with your physical body. I'll get some kind of response of like, I feel lighter. I feel safer. Mm. I feel, and it's some sort of like positive, like, you know, up end of like, this feels better now. And it's not because we'd there's nothing magical that happened there. It's just that space was held and they stayed with themselves mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. reinforced to themselves because that's the thing I didn't, most of the time I'm not even doing it. It's not me doing it. I'm asking some really good questions, yeah. but the people they're doing it for themselves. And that's the most important thing is that like any space, if you're any space you might be coming to where someone's like, Hey, you need me to give you this thing in order to heal. 
don't trust that person. Right. Like you can hold a container for someone to have their transformational process within for a period of time. Like we all need help to get to certain places sometimes. But the vi- the main thing that the most vital thing I'm I'm really trying to constantly drive home is like and we'll do that too at the end of a session I'll be like, "Hey, you did that for you." Like you just showed up for you like that. All I did was ask you questions. You could have been like, "I don't want to do that" and hung up the phone. You showed up like you're doing this. And anytime you get to remind someone or show someone the way in which they were just their own hero in that moment mm. is going to remove the influence of an authoritarian religion, authoritarian parent. It's, it's going to help them remember that here within me is I have access. I have everything I need within me. It's just sometimes getting access to those things is a little bit hard. Wow. It's so beautiful. Uh, last night we had tornado warnings. And oh, I know I was here. I loved it. My son yep. was freaking out and there came a point where I just, we had to put on Captain Underpants. <gasps> yes. oh, and yeah. uh, I just, I put him next to me and I like held oh. him in a way that I normally don't, a little tighter than usual. Because a lot of times, like, honestly, some of my past and shit that's been thrown on me with being gay and a dad, like, has kind of ruined physical touch mm. in some ways. Oh, but like last night, it was just like, fuck, my kid yes. needs a little extra. Yep. Yeah. whatever absolutely. and being there for him and you're it, fucking entitled to that but yeah oh fuck 100%. yeah absolutely yeah and but on top of that is i needed that as a kid when i was freaking out yes and to kind of be able to go back to that space and tell myself mm. it's okay to be mm-hmm. scared because your parents are fighting and arguing or back to my marriage it's yeah. okay that you're being scared because you're being gaslit and scared and that you're going to lose everything or your career and all of that. Um, and knowing that because earlier, like I said, fundamentalists, we, we expect perfection immediately because that's how we were taught is the only way. Yes. Uh, but what we're discovering is evolution. Mm. The things change over time and they adapt to the environments that we're in. And, uh, we have that ability now to, And shame is never going to bring about a transformational process. It, it will not. It's only compassion. Only so, compassion and self-compassion. I want to. We we have, we're running out of time. Jamie has to go. But I do. I want to. I want to poke at one more thing, and I think it's <clears throat> somewhat relevant. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, how important is it to deal with your trauma? I mean, that question is fitting any time, but especially right now. Especially um, right well, now. Well, Chuck, it's pretty fucking what, important. What happens if you don't deal with your trauma? You will perpetuate it. Per- trauma will. begets trauma? It does. It does, Chuck. As a matter of fact, it does. And traumatize it will, people? Traumatize other people? They do. And um, what's really unfortunate is that um, that happens in a way where people truly are convinced that the way in which they're perpetuating their trauma is what's going to heal them. Mm-hmm. And it's it is like trauma seeks to resolve itself by recreating mm-hmm. the situation mm-hmm. that traumatized mm-hmm. people yeah. where you're the one in power. Yes. So Oof. where the traumatized person is the one in power. So yeah. yep. you will, yep. I mean, take you, yeah, take your, your traumatic experience and when, it, when it's church, when it's religion, mm-hmm. it can be, it can come out in all kinds of weird ways. Yeah. Like all kinds of weird ways. Um, and you will 
yeah, you 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 seek to establish dominance over other people mm-hmm. in really kind of fucked up ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In really backwards ways. Yeah. You are you are literally attempting to do to somebody else what was done what to was you. What was done to you. Yeah. Which here's the thing about that. If we back up enough from that, this is why I can't I can't make anyone a villain when they do that because mm-hmm, when I right. when if I'm like your body is a person, it it strips per- you of your person, ability to to be a moral authority over other people. One hundred percent, because I'm like the person of your body loves you as much as the person of my body loves me. You are trying to gain yep. something you didn't have. Your body is doing that because your body is desperately fighting for believing in your survival mm-hmm. and your thriving. So I see you. Like I see what you're doing and that is actually not the worst part about you that's doing that. That is arguably the best part about you Mm. that's doing that. It just doesn't know it doesn't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's your, that's the whole thing too about being able to set up boundaries that where I'm like, I see that and that's also not my work. Like that's my work for, from, from me to me. And that is my work for the people that I love and the clients that I am working with. So on a large scale, I see this super clearly and then I mute those people <laughs> because otherwise my, my, my ability to see that so clearly will take over and ruin my own life because I'm like, I, you can't, you can't take people somewhere they might not be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Audrey was telling me something a few weeks ago and I apologize if I super fuck this whole thing up, but there's this, um, idea I believe it is in, I believe it's like a, a culturally like Indian idea. Maybe it's a specific like Hindu idea, but um, it's literally taboo culturally. And this is, of course, this is like a metaphorical parallel for the deep beliefs about human nature and spirituality and enlightenment and growth. But it's literally taboo in Indian culture to wake someone up from a deep sleep. Hmm. But it is equally taboo to not wake someone up when they're in a fitful sleep. Hmm. That's seen as kindness. Waking someone up when they're in a deep sleep is seen as disrespect. Hmm. And there's the metaphorical parallel there is you can you can take it's kindness for you to take someone that they're ready somewhere someone someplace that they're ready to go. Uh, yeah. It is actually deeply unkind for you to try and take someone somewhere that they might not be ready to go yet. Wow. You can't yeah. wake someone up if they're not ready to wake up. Mm. And that I think, again, I mean, there's even more to unpack there. Like the savior complex. Like I was mm-hmm. a, in missions for 10, 11 years, whatever. So of course I was given this like imperialistic colonialism, you know, ideology of like, no, what you have, everybody needs. So I've got to be really careful to not try and impose on other people when I see them reenacting their trauma in public spaces and I see them doing to other people what was done to them and they don't see it yet. It really, it, it devastates me to see the fact that they don't see it yet. And also I'm not your savior. Like it's really ostentatious for me to even think I could be, but uh, even, even the best part about me that like wants to just help. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. Like for my yeah. own sake, but then also for yours, because maybe you're not ready to wake up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are definitely some really important conversations happening right now in some public spaces about how we treat each other when we're all just doing the best that we can with what we have right now. Yep. And everyone's healing and everyone is. And there's also weird hierarchies that are set up that 
people assume other people are leaders, but like y'all didn't tell us. So <laughs> like, we don't know that. Like right. it's, a, and then, right, and then there's right. people that assume because those leaders have been assumed they must not be a leader. So they must not have been influenced. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, I remember being in, a, I remember that position uh-huh. when I was in the church and I wasn't like the, uh, the right kind of woman enough. And so I thought I had nothing of value. And right. I'm like, don't do that either. Like you have something of value. Mm-hmm. So I think the whole structure, like it's, it is learning itself, like kind of people leaving evangelicalism, it is learning itself. And when I look at it, it just makes me, I'm not really mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at any individual person. I'm still so mad at the thing that indoctrinated them when they were children and adolescents for, for informing their subconscious that this is the way that it, this is what it means to be a human. And I am pissed at that. And I'm not pissed at any individual person. Um, and I also know that none of us can bring someone to a place before they're ready to get there. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, part of, again, go back. That's part of the reason why I wrote the book. Cause I'm just like, have, have the words on your own time, have yeah. the thing that I did that just felt like the most important thing. I mean, honestly, all I, I just needed to go to college and then graduate and that's why I wrote a book is I started studying stuff that then people were like share this with us and then I was and then I did and then they asked me to publish it and then I did and I just it it also though is this thing where I'm like it is really important for me to it's really important to me for people to have access to the information and their bodies will take care of the rest yeah like your body will will assimilate this for you when you are ready, when they are ready, when your body is ready, your body is not going to shove you into a transformational process you're not ready for. So let's say maybe you've got some other upheaval. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you are moving across the country, maybe leaving your church, your specific church environment and beginning to deconstruct your beliefs has like upended your, your, you know, social space, like your, you know, your community, your direct community, your body loves you so much that your body's probably going to wait, <laughs> probably yeah. gonna wait a little bit to start unpacking the next thing with you until you're stable in that area uh-huh. again. And so again, even like zooming out and seeing that I'm like, everyone's in a different spot in their process. And if we can just share our stories, podcasts live in perpetuity, books live in perpetuity, information and things we put out live in perpetuity for better or for worse. But if we can just like get that out to people, their bodies, your body is your best teacher. Your body will take care of the timeline. And that has nothing to do with me. Speaking of perpetuity, get therapy. Please go to therapy. <laughs> please, please, please. Go to, I mean, like the reason that we're having this conversation right now, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are like not, not aware and I'm not going to get too into the story, but, but, but publicly trauma was publicly manifested in a way that was really devastating for a number of people in the post evangelical universe. And that can, that can be prevented by, yeah just like choosing to go to therapy and choosing to talk about your experience. But and isn't, not everybody has that ability. To no, 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 that's therapy. true. Absolutely. Like, I don't want to yeah, minimize yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah um, it's true. And one Tra- thing, yeah. we try to put resources on our, on our website. Yeah. Vote Democrat to, and go to therapy. But in addition, but in addition to therapy, things that we have right now are different resources that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying you need to replace therapy, but can at right. least get you the education and yes. vocabulary through yeah. podcasts and books. Read Wynell, yeah. read Jamie's book, read, 
read uh, Rothschild, read yeah. self therapy uh, books that you yeah. can, like that are highly rated on also, Amazon. Like, even therapeutic spaces online too. Uh-huh. Like there's a lot of apps, apps. and places that are yeah. existing, which is making therapy more accessible. I have a few clients. A lot of people I work with as their coach work with a therapist at the same time, which is I love. I'm not saying you have to do that to work with me, but I do love that a lot. Um, and most of the people at this point, I've noticed the shift between two years ago and now where I have more clients that are also in therapy and more clients that are able to be in therapy at the same time because they're using some sort of app based therapeutic program. Mm. Um, those, uh, those are great. Like they're fucking great. They're not even like a, a lesser choice. They're fucking great. Yeah. All it is, you have a trained therapist that may live somewhere else that you would not be able to get to who mm-hmm. wants to help you and has the ability and accessibility to help you. Mm-hmm. It's just happening over a medium that is not you showing up, in, which also is even more accessible for people with disabilities. Like everything about what's happening right now and being able to get therapy accessible to people I understand that there are still some people who are financially restricted, but I feel like those walls are starting to come down a little bit more, which is great news for everyone. But don't make your Twitter friends your therapist. (laughs) And and leave room for people to fuck up. Yes. You know, because you and I have talked about, I've fucked up. I've fucked Uh up. You know, there there was a time where um, I I was super upset at at an episode of Liturgist. And I went off and... Um, had a freeze response mm-hmm. sure. and, yeah. and not getting the response that was going to bring healing yeah. was hard. Yeah. And when people took notice, I thought that I was losing my friends again and mm. I started going through a whole bunch of shit and I started to panic. Yep. And you remember that and, yep. and Chuck was there for me and we had some bumps that we had to work out of like how to be there for people. And, uh, we talked it out and there's room for people who fuck up. Yeah. There's, there's room to be, there has to be room for people to have conversations and for people to come out of fundamentalism, not perfect instantly, but to have time to evolve and to learn and to hear. And, uh, there's room for you and people need to hear that. Yeah. People need to hear that yeah. cancel culture is not is not a place for people. Um, it's a place for fundamentalism to be yeah. canceled, and it needs mm-hmm. to go so that we can evolve and be people together. Yeah, yep, and permission to just be human, which is the mm. thing that we were all really harmed with in our previous religious yep. system, was this lack of permission to just be human. So the very thing that we all need is the thing that it seems like a lot of a lot of us are resisting. Well, we have yeah, it's yeah. it's difficult to unlearn. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That it's okay but to you be, know what? that it's not, it's read, difficult to unlearn that it is not okay to be human. You can read my book and find out more. Hold space for one another. That. Check out Jamie's book. <laughs> read my book. Uh, what's it called? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That beer really did it for you. I, I'm just kidding. I it is called it. You it, Are called Your Twitter, Own. Right? It's called, <laughs> that's the funny thing about I saw, the, I rem- it's I, right. I know. Yeah. I, I dedicated my book like, to Twitter oh and I'm just, you know, in the print version, I'm just leaving it. Cause I'm like, the irony is thick at this point. I'm just, I love that. Um, no, it's, it's called, called you, you are, are your, your own. own a reckoning with the religious trauma of evangelical Christianity, which actually I have Brady to thank for that title. Cause I asked him for permission <laughs> if I could use that okay. because he was using it as like a hashtag for a bit. Yeah, and then it like it came, the it, it, 
popped itself into my memory. Yeah. Probably from seeing him use it. And I was like, are you cool? Because well, like, that's, that's perfect. That's Can just I another handout that? we've given Jamie Finch. <laughs> I owe you guys so much money. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. Oh, I love oh, you man. guys so much. Jamie, thank you so much for being on the thank show again. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are the best. It's, the, it's so, so much fun every time. It is fun. It's the best. We get into some this. deep shit with Jamie. Yeah, and we I love do. That. And some silly shit. Wait till you guys hear the outtakes from this one. Oh, yeah. You should Speaking of outtakes, if you like outtakes, you can join our Patreon. We talk about masturbation in chat rooms. Yep. You're going to want to hear that. You're going to want to hear that one. You're going to want to hear that one. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to know what Jamie used to masturbate? Do you guys want to know about my first experience cybering? (laughs) Learn more. Give us your money and learn more. Not me. It's them. Give them your money and learn more. Patreon. (laughs) Just don't tell my dad. We'll teach you how to masturbate. We'll teach you how to masturbate. (laughs) Anyway. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been another uh, uh, episode of The Life After. Gripping, riveting episode of The Life After. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, Chuck, what what can people do on iTunes? Uh, they can uh, they can rate and subscribe mm. on and iTunes and review on iTunes and uh, find our online um, and, and tell us about how we cut off Jamie and Skype. Oh my oh, yeah, god! I did feel bad no. earlier. Okay, I want to wreck it earlier. I had a really like I had an epiphany and I said I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna and I because you said it earlier to me and then I repeated to her and I was like that was very bad. Listen to me so right apologize. now, okay. If there's anything that either both of you know about me as a person and as your friend is that if I felt like you were doing that to me, you would know in three fucking seconds. That's so true. So use that as information in your corner, but you have not done that. You have not done that to me. Beautiful. Thank you. You're good. I love you. You're okay. Well, I'll get away with it, but I'm gay. Anyway, um, and you can also find our, our online <laughs> closed group on Facebook. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Which is another which thing, is a, too. Which is an actually, actually a good place to process your trauma. Yes, it is. As opposed to I public agree. Twitter. Because I view yep. it in a lot of ways with certain posts are kind of like a group therapy thing mm-hmm. in some ways. You okay. know? And I feel like in that space, you guys and other folks have done a really good job of moderating hard conversations in in doing equal parts um comforting and educating because i've seen some stuff pop up where i'm like yeah. ooh, that can be really sensitive mm-hmm. and then people are really gracious with one another mm-hmm. and i think it being great people being gracious with one another in that space has a lot to do with their being moderators in that space we have great moderators yeah. shout out to yeah. our mods Mod. thank you I go mods. ladies this is, and gentlemen none of this is going on the air oh, like, <laughs> the four seconds of it. <laughs>